the reading this morning is taken from John chapter 10, verses 11 to 18. <clears throat> I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he has a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. <clears throat> Let's pray for Robin. Lord, I lift Robin to you and I thank you for him, that you sent him here at such a time as this, Lord, to be our good shepherd. I pray, Lord, that you will grant him qualities and abilities and anointing, Lord, so that, Lord, he can protect and shepherd this flock that is yours in your will and your way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week, um, Mark talked about Jesus as the door of the sheepfold. And he ended up his message with uh, a strong warning from the text about um, bad shepherds. Bad shepherds who care only for themselves and make, you know, and use the sheep. And that's actually a perfect setup for this passage, which comes right after it. And Jesus saying, I am the good shepherd. But first of all, I want to actually share a, a quick video with you. Um, that's the wrong, wrong light, wrong switch. There we go. Um, uh, quick, if, if we can get these lights off as well over here, someone, Marilyn, Vic, somebody. Anyway. Um, so last November, we had uh, a couple staying with us. Uh, they were at Olive Tree. Um, doing premarital counseling. And so we went, on the weekend, we went for a hike out to um, Gouverneur Canyon. One of the nice things about living in Antalya is you can get on the bus and go to the countryside. So, so, on the, so for those of you who are interested, it's on the 506 bus line. Anyway, so we were at the top of the cliff at the side of the canyon, and we saw a bit of a drama unfold. And the, uh, the young woman who was with us videoed it on her, on her phone. A goat had gotten stuck um, down inside the canyon. And it, we'd been there for a while. It had been bleating loudly for quite a long time. And eventually the shepherd, who had been quite far along the cliff top with the rest of the, uh, the flock, um, came back looking 
and calling for his lost goat. Uh, hopefully, you'll be able to see this. Okay. Okay, so can... I wish we can tell him the other side. Is... Don't run away, you stupid goat. <laughs> you can't see. It's a very, very, very long way down. <laughs> oh my gosh, this poor goat's been stuck on this cliff for quite some time. There we go. There you go. Go back to the heat. You can go. You can go. He's a human. Yeah, he has thumbs. <laughs> but he doesn't know the other way it's easier. What are you going to do? Try and carry it there? I, I hope not. Oh my gosh. We're trying to push it up, I guess. I mean, Show him the right, right way, yeah. Oh, I guess he is going to carry. Oh my goodness. Jeez. <laughs> Come on, goat! Oh, this is just like I have such an adrenaline rush just from watching. <laughs> Did you say we've recorded for? Don't go the other way. There you go. There you go. Come on! I'm just so I... National Geographic. Yeah. <laughs> Come on. I oh, know, I'm just, oh, I hope that guy doesn't. <laughs> and they can't see the guy. Oh, yay, yay, the goat's gonna make it. I mean, hopefully the human too. <laughs> oh my God. Yay. Oh. There you go, goat rescue. Oh, <laughs> Did the other one too. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, where am I? Wrong one. That one. So that's what a good shepherd looks like. I went back and checked. That canyon is 115 meters deep. That's 380 feet. One wrong move by either the goat or the shepherd might have been their last. But the shepherd climbs down into the canyon to rescue the goat. And I want you to keep that image, that, that's, that little video, in your mind as we go on to look about Look at what Jesus says about being a good shepherd. So in this passage that was read for us, Jesus makes three statements about himself. He says, I am the good shepherd. He says that twice. He says, I lay down my, sheep, my life for the sheep. He says that three times in one way or another. And he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. So let's take them in that order then. What does it mean when Jesus says he's a good shepherd? Well, one of the themes that we've been developing in this series is that all of Jesus' I am statements hark back to the Old Testament. So when we hear him say something like, I am the good shepherd, we're liable to think of something like I just showed you in the video. And there's nothing wrong with that. Jesus is using a metaphor, a word picture. 
And it only works if you already have some idea of what a shepherd does and how a good one would behave. But if we just stop with actual shepherds, we miss the point of what Jesus is saying. Because as soon as he says to the people, I am the good shepherd, their minds have already gone way beyond the shepherds that they would see on the hills around them every day. Their minds have jumped back all the way to the Old Testament passages, like Ezekiel 34, 7 to 13, where it says, Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd and has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I will remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it, will no, and it will no longer be food for them. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As shepherds look after their scattered flocks when they are with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries and I will bring them into their own land. And a few, few verses later, it says, I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. Now, by the time Ezekiel was prophesying, David was long dead. But there was a hope, an expectation, a promise from God that he would send another one like David, the Messiah. A few chapters earlier in John's gospel, in chapter 7, we read, On hearing his words, some of the people said, Surely this man is a prophet. Others said, He is a Messiah. Still others asked, How can the Messiah come from Galilee? Does not scripture say that the Messiah will come from David's descendants and from Bethlehem, the house where David lived, the town where David lived? So there's already people asking the question about whether Jesus is a Messiah whether he's God's chosen one to bring all of his promises to reality. And Jesus' answer to all the speculation is basically, yes. Yes, I am the good shepherd. Yes, I am the hoped-for Messiah. Even, yes, I am the one who will search for this lost sheep, which means that I am the sovereign Lord. As Christians, sometimes we can fall into the trap of romanticizing shepherding sheep herding and we're maybe we're unaware that in the ancient world shepherd was a metaphor for leadership it wasn't only david who was a shepherd king all of david's neighboring kings all referred to themselves as shepherds as well and a shepherd's a leader's job is laid out in that same passage in ezekiel 34 god says i will pasture them on the mountains of israel in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land, I will tend them in a good pasture, and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land. There they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. So when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, 
he's saying, I will do all this for my people. I will lead them to a safe place. I will make sure they have all they need to thrive. And if any of them get lost or injured, I will search for them and nurse them back to health. This is what a good shepherd does. This is what that shepherd in the video was doing, searching for the lost and bringing back the stray. This is what a good leader does. And remember, in Scripture, shepherd is a metaphor for leadership. And of course, this is what a good pastor does. The word pastor means shepherd. Now, I've only been lead pastor here for a little over three months. But I want to say this is my goal, is to be worthy of the title pastor. No doubt I'll make mistakes, because there is only one truly good shepherd, and that's Jesus. The rest of us are probably what Peter would call under-shepherds. We're not hired hands, um, who only look after the sheep because they're paid to look after the sheep. I think most of my pastoral colleagues would say that they would still be doing pastoral ministry even if they weren't in a pastoral position. And I've seen that in their lives, that they care for people and they walk with people even when they're no longer in a pastoral role. But we're also not the good shepherd. We're also not the good shepherd because there's only one of those, and that's Jesus. Still, right here in this passage, there's a standard of what it means to be a pastor. It's a standard of judgment that you can actually hold up against anybody in pastoral ministry, including me, to see if we're doing a good job. So is St. Paul Union Church a safe place? Do people feel safe to be who they are without feeling that they have to put on a mask? Do they feel safe to ask hard questions? Do they feel safe enough to try and to fail, knowing that someone will pick them up? Are people being fed? Are we as pastors and the pastoral team, are we providing what you need to thrive as followers of Jesus? Are we, am I, teaching God's word in a way that actually impacts people's lives for the better? Because it's really easy to talk about the Bible for half an hour every week and not actually have it impact people's lives. When people wander away, do we notice and search them out? Are we, am I, willing to climb down into what often feels like the dark and dangerous ravine of life and help them get back on their feet on solid ground. When people are wounded by life, by other people, by the enemies, am I there? Are, are, are we there as a pastoral team to, to listen, to bind up those wounds and to help them return to fully functioning life again? I believe that's what it means to be a pastor, to do those things. All the other stuff, running programs, organizing meetings, second, setting goals, all of that is secondary. I'm not saying those things are unimportant. 
But it's very easy to have a church with smoothly running programs, well-organized meetings, and good goals, but where people don't feel safe, aren't being built up, and aren't being cared for. So anyway, that's it. I've, I've nailed my flag to the mast now. Um, and I can't complain if any of you comes and points out somewhere where I'm failing in these things. I just ask that you do it graciously and pray that I have the grace to grow in that area of ministry. The second thing Jesus says in this passage is, I lay down my life for the sheep. Once again, we saw that in the video. That shepherd climbed down into the ravine to rescue the goat. I don't think I could do that. Uh, I used to have a good head for heights, but as I've gotten older, I've discovered that's no longer the case. I, I hear an, a, man, a man from some older people in the room too. <laughs> that shepherd put his life at risk to rescue one of his flock and to make sure it was safe. There was a young woman who attended our church back in Canada um, who had had a horribly abusive childhood. I won't go into details, but to su for suffice to say that she walked around terrified much of the time. Simply coming to a place like a church where there were lots of people actually took a great deal of courage on her part. A year or two after she started attending the church, we were talking and she told me about why she had decided to stay at Wentworth. That's the name of her home church. It actually had been on the first Sunday that she'd come. A fight had broken out in the foyer of the church. It's an inner city church. With, um, and there's lots of people with behavioral issues. We didn't have lots of fights, but we did have them. The deciding factor for her deciding to continue to come to the church was I stepped in and broke up the fight. I actually had to break, up, break it up twice. I broke it up in the foyer, then he went outside in the parking lot and started over again. So I got in the parking lot and break it up again. Um, but that act convinced her that this church might be a safe place for her because I was willing to step in and break up a violent situation. Generally, I don't like telling stories from the pulpit where I turn out to be the hero. I don't like doing that. But I wanted to make the point that this is part of being a good shepherd, putting your life on the line. The difference between being a good shepherd and being the good shepherd is in verses 17 and 18 of John 10. Because Jesus says, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. Only the good shepherd has the ability to lay down his life, not just, not just to put it at risk, but actually lay it down to die. Only the good shepherd, only Jesus, has the power to lay down his life and take it up again. Remember, in the ancient world, shepherd was a metaphor for leadership, a metaphor for king. It's not hard to imagine a king going out to battle in defense of his people and dying in the process. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. 
He's saying that he will lay down his life in the ultimate battle against evil and sin. He will die in the battle as he takes onto himself our sin and the consequences of our sin. And in the process of doing that, he will set us all free from our bondage to sin and enable us, free us to follow him. But that's not where the story ends. Three days later, he will rise again. He will take up his life again. He will rise again to become the firstborn from the dead, blazing a trail into eternal life for everybody who follows him. So Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus lays down his life and takes it up again for the sheep. And thirdly, Jesus knows his sheep and they know him. It doesn't say Jesus knows about his sheep and they know about him. It's not talking about knowledge. It's talking about relationship. Something that Western society, at least, has inherited from Greek philosophy is the idea that the most important thing in life is knowledge. Knowing things. Knowing how things work. Knowing what things are. Knowing what things mean. So from a Greek or a Western perspective, it's really quite possible to know a lot about a thing, a person, and never actually have it change your life. And I've actually, you know, having been in university a number of times, seeing people who have all kinds of knowledge about things, which if you thought they actually applied that to their life, their life would look different. But anyway. But Jesus and all of the disciples were Jews. And when they talk about knowing someone or something, it isn't just about head knowledge. When Jesus says he knows his sheep and his sheep know him, he's talking about a relationship in which, as Mark said uh, last week, his sheep, his people recognize his voice. Just like when Marilyn calls me on the phone, I don't need to see her name come up. I recognize her voice. Because we've walked through life together for 40 or well, almost 40 years. It's always a problem when you get a number wrong about how many years you've been married, so I won't go there. <laughs> I've sometimes been critical of the idea of inviting people to, uh, to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. as being a little bit too trite. Because the apostles never invited people to have a personal relationship with Jesus. They proclaimed, as a, they proclaimed Jesus as Lord and called upon people to submit their lives to him. But what Jesus is describing here when he says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me, is in fact a personal relationship with him. True, it's a result of coming under his lordship because as you become under his lordship, you become part of his flock. But it's definitely a personal relationship. Just like that shepherd knew that there was a goat missing from his flock. And he came back looking for it. And just like the goat eventually let him rescue it. Because it knew that was its shepherd. And part of being in a relationship is listening to one another hearing each other. Now, Jesus always hears us. He has no hearing problems. Not like me, see? I've got hearing it in here. 
you know, um, Jesus always hears us. But some of us are better at hearing Jesus than others are. Marilyn is better at hearing Jesus than I am. That's just a fact. Probably because I spend too much time talking to myself inside my head. Marilyn is really good at listening. She used to do it professionally. And each of us hears the Lord in different ways. For some of them, for some of us like me, the main way I hear from the Lord is through Scripture. For others, it's a quiet voice in the time of prayer. I know one guy who almost every time he closes his eyes to pray, the Lord gives him a, <clears throat> excuse me, the Lord gives him a picture. The Lord has given me a picture exactly two times in prayer. So I actually encourage you to think back over the times when you know the Lord has spoken to you. How do you usually hear his voice? Is there something you can do to make it easier to hear your voice, hear his voice? If the Lord normally speaks to you from scripture, are you spending quality time in his word? If he speaks to you in the quietness of prayer, are you making time to just sit in quiet contemplation in his presence? What do you need to do to hear Jesus' voice better? One last thing. Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice. And there shall be one flock and one shepherd. When Jesus said this, he was talking about the Gentiles, the non-Jews who would soon be included in the people of God. But how did they hear Jesus' voice? How did all those people who we meet in Acts, how did they hear Jesus' voice? Now, Jesus is perfectly capable of speaking to anyone any way he wants. Many of my Afghan brothers and sisters can testify that Jesus spoke to them in a dream before they ever became a Christian. And certainly people can hear Jesus' voice calling to them when they read Scripture. But most of the time, people hear Jesus' voice through his sheep through people like you and me who are willing to speak Jesus' words into the lives of those around us. That's his normal way of operating. He includes us in the, his project of expanding his flock. So Jesus is the good shepherd. He's committed to the care of his people, keeping them safe, providing what providing what we need, bringing back the wanderers and binding up the wounded. Jesus lays down his life for his people, giving his own life in the battle against sin and evil, but taking it up again in glorious resurrection. And Jesus knows his people, and his people know him. Not just some abstract intellectual way, but in a deep personal relationship. Let's give thanks to the Lord for that, shall we? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the good shepherd. Thank you, Lord, that, yeah, 
you have sought us out when we were wandering. As the scripture says, while we were yet your enemies, you died for us. Lord, that like that goat who wanted to go the other way, you were patient with us and pushed us in the direction of life rather than death. Thank you, Lord, that you are the good shepherd and there is none like you. Lord, I want to pray for each one of us that's involved in any kind of leadership or care ministry. And there's a number of people in this congregation who are. Lord, that we would be people who truly reflect your care for the people that you've given us to look after, for the people that you've given us to care for. Lord, that they would see you reflected in us. And in that, draw closer to you. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you laid down your lives for your life for us, that we may have life, that you pour your life into us now. Thank you, Lord, that it's only because of your death and resurrection that we are sitting here this morning. And we thank you, Lord, for that. And Lord, we thank you that you know each one of us intimately. There's nothing that we think or say or do that you're not aware of. We can't, we can't keep any secrets for you, Lord, from you, Lord. You see our hearts, and yet still you love us. And we just thank you for that, Lord. Pray, Lord, that you would give us words to share our experience of your grace and love with those around us. That those who are not yet part of your flock might come in. In your name we pray. Amen.